0: Pastor Steve, we're supposed to do the Lord's Supper, and we will. We're going to do something a little different this morning. So take your Bibles with me and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're going to look at our passage this morning and then do the Lord's Supper. And don't worry, I'm watching the time. (laughs) But it is fitting for several reasons. In John chapter 15, Jesus in verses 1 through 8 has given us a an illustration. He says, "I am the vine and you are the branches." And that illustration we saw last week had some laws to go with it. Some things that we must understand what the illustration is saying, what he is saying from the illustration. And this week we're going to look at some lessons now that Jesus wants to explain. And while some commentators would necessarily look at the vine and draw a conclusion that he is that Jesus is talking about the Lord's supper because of the vine and what vines produce they produce grape juice and wine and the Lord's supper has wine and or grape juice in it and so some commentators make a quick connection to the Lord's supper i'm not intending to do that other than any truth that Jesus or the apostles where the Holy Spirit, through the Word, intends for us to understand about the Lord's Supper. And there is a truth here that we'll see uh, Jesus teaches about the Lord's Supper. Okay? And so at the end of our sermon, we will actually make application through the Lord's Supper. Okay? But let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at the lessons from the Master's Vineyard this morning. Our Father, we're thankful for the goodness that we have already been able to articulate, the greatness that we have, we have fallen prostrate in our worship because you are big and we are small. You are great. Your thinking, your height, there's none like you. All others crumble at the thought of you. And so, O oh Lord, we pray that our hearts would be so tuned to who you are this morning through the spirit of God's ministry in our hearts, through the word of God's uh, working and sure objective truth, that we too would let all that needs to crumble in our own hearts and lives crumble, and that we would embrace and cling to you and to you alone. Lord, help us to pick up now understand the lessons that we have that has been afforded to us through our Savior Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 9 begins, just as the Father has loved me. This is John chapter 15. And by the way, if you need a Bible this morning, we're going to be in the Bible. And we certainly don't want to seek to embarrass you, but we do have ushers that uh, will hand a Bible out to you. And uh, so if you want to raise your hand, we have we have uh, ushers ready to give you a Bible. You certainly can Google John chapter 15 and uh, find the scriptures that way as well. Jesus says, just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. And here is the first of several ties to the illustration that Jesus just gave about the vine and the branches in verses 1 through 8. And that is where he says, abide in my love and then if you look in verse 10 he says it twice more abide in my love abide in God's love and then if you look in verse 16 we see twice at least Jesus uses the words fruit that you would bear more fruit and that your fruit would remain and so the close connection between these verses 9 through 17 and the previous verses 1 through 8 and the illustration of the vine and the branches is very apparent however the illustration really is kind of fallen by the wayside now we don't want to read into that too much more but now we want to learn of lessons from the master's vineyard and we see the the importance of the mediating work of Christ as one of the lessons now i'm i'm going to fill out what that means what the lesson is from the mediating work of Christ but pastor mike started this so, uh, this worship service by the the very truth, the very reality that Jesus Christ is our mediator. He is the one man, the Christ Jesus. A mediator is someone who helps and goes between, who really allows one party to get to another party. And for us, we are in desperate need, aren't we, of a mediator to God? And so the importance of the mediator, we'll see. The, mediator work of, the Mediating Work of Christ in verses 9 through 11. And let's read that together. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You know, we're desperately in need of a mediator. And here our text shows us just how close Jesus is to the Father. And yet how close he is to us. And because of that connection, Jesus' connection to the Father, we have a connection to the Father. Amen. There's a there's a little picture that I'd like to bring to your minds. It's not a vine and a branch, so I'm sorry, we're mixing metaphors. But I want you to think of a chain this morning. And links of a chain. And how critical each chain is to keep the one end linked to the other end, isn't it? And Jesus here really gives us a picture of a chain. Look at verse 9. Just as the Father, there's chain one, link one, has loved me. There's the son. There's chain two. And what? I have also loved you. There's the other chain in the picture. And so we see that there is a chain that is necessary. That the, very, the very reality is that we are linked to the father because we are chained together by who? By the son. And notice the basis of that chain. So Jesus says that there's a chain connection between you and the Father, and that is me, you being in me. But what's the basis for that chain? Our text goes on to say, if you keep my uh, commandments, abide in my love. Excuse me, verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, there it is, there's the basis. Love is the basis. Isn't it? You see the start of the Father who loves the Son, and the Son who then what? Loves you and me. And this is the undeniable fact that because of the mediating work of Jesus in our lives, the Father loves us. My friends, think about it. There is no reason at all why the Father should love us. You can think about yourself. You can think about a group of people. You can think through this in terms of salvation history. Right? Adam and Eve gave all the reason in the world why the Father should not love us. And if that weren't enough, then Cain... Their son gave all the reason in the world why the father should not love us by killing his own brother. And then you don't get too long into salvation history where we see that there is none righteous in the world save one man and his family. And his name is Noah. And God tells him to build an ark and the rest of the world is judged. There is no reason in the world why the father should love us. And you think about your sin and you're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You think about, you think about the, the delights that you take advantage of. There's no reason in the world, is there, why the Father should love us, the holy, transcendent God who cannot stand sin. Yet, there's an unbreakable chain, isn't there, so for those of you who are unsure who of the Father's love for you because of what you've done this past week. My friends, if you are in Jesus, you are in Jesus' love and you have an unbreakable chain to the Father whose love you are in and that will never go away. Amen. You can look at Romans chapter 8. That's a strong passage for that truth. And so there's an unbreakable chain. God's love, the mediating work of Jesus Christ, but also look at the other side of the chain. If love flows from the Father to the Son to us, the other side of the chain is what? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. And abide in his love. So what flows flows down from the Father is love. What flows up from us, my friends? What goes up the chain? Because the Father loved us, and the Son loves us, and we abide in his love, what ought we be doing? What does the text say? Keep my commandments. We ought to obey, we ought to be people who are so enamored with the reality that God loves us. We abide in Jesus's love, that we want to grow in our love for him. And the way that we display that is not through just mere words and affections. It's not just coming to this place and shouting glory and praise and hallelujah, which is worthy of Jesus and and the father for sure. But it's more than that. It's more than just a lip service to Jesus, isn't it? It's more than just praising God with our lips. Oh, but that our hearts would be so in tune with the Father that our words and our what? Our ways, our walk would demonstrate that we love the Father and the Father first loved us. Amen. That we would be men and women that would obey and we would obey like Jesus obeyed, the passage says. And so the link between Jesus is one where love flows down And in Jesus' obedience, righteousness flows up. You and I will, will always fall short this side of heaven in obeying exactly how we ought to. But you and I, because of the love of God, can grow in our obedience to the Father. Because that's what children do. That is the lesson. But the lesson goes on. The mediating mediatorial lesson of Jesus in verse 11. Jesus says these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in, made, uh, may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And I want us to understand that the link between keeping Jesus' commandments and abiding in the Father can be summed up in this idea can be summed up in the idea of usefulness. Usefulness. Pastor Steve, where are you going? Well, let me just kind of take you for a little walk here and see if you can follow me. Does the opposite make sense? If, If Jesus can be useful to the Father, right, keeping His commandments, can He be useful to the Father if He doesn't Keep his commandments For God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son If he doesn't keep his commandments that There's nothing else to that verse This is clearly the point When Jesus introduces The reality of the whole illustration Of the vine in the branches Look at, verses, look at verse 31 of chapter 14 Jesus starts this illustration, and he says, But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me, exactly, to the T. So so the fact of love moving to obedience, to doing what the Father commands is really here, in the context, a matter of usefulness. Jesus is useful to the Father. And that is true for you and for me. If we are in the love of God and we keep His commands, we are therefore what? Useful to the Father. We are only useful to the Father because Jesus is useful to God, and Jesus is useful to God because he keeps exactly his commandments. And so likewise should we. And so we see that there's a direct link between the usefulness of the Son for the Father's purposes, the usefulness that we have for the Father's purposes, and what Jesus says next about joy. He says, These things, verse 11, I have spoken to you. It is in the chain, it is in the context of this chain of relationship, the Father to the Son, the Son to you and me. Love flowing down that chain and obedience flowing back up that chain. It is within that context that Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that your joy might be full that you might have the same kind of joy that I have take your Bibles let me illustrate this for you uh, Hebrews chapter 12 you and I can have the same kind of joy that Jesus has and we often mix joy and happiness together and here Jesus is, is greatly splitting those things apart because what Jesus is saying is that if you want to have joy, you're going to be useful for the master. If you're going to have joy, you're going to do what God has called you to do. In fact, it is a, and it is an axiom, it is a truth that the more useful you are for the master, the more joy you will have in this life. Do you believe that? Jesus believed that with all of his heart. That's what Jesus wants us to understand, that as love, love flows down from the Father and His obedience flows back up to us, that makes us useful and that gives us joy in this world. Chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 1. The writer says, Therefore, since we have so great A cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. And then he says this, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And he gives us a picture of who does that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the what? The joy of set before him. And what was that joy? What was that joy, my friends? What was that joy? It was being useful for the master, for his father. And how do we know that? Look at what Jesus, uh, look at what the author of Hebrews says. Who for the joy set before him did what? Endured the cross He was useful for the master. It wasn't about his circumstances. It wasn't whether he was looking forward to it. We knew, we know from Scripture, he was asking the Lord to take this cup from him. It was a painful cup, but yet it was a cup that he willingly and joyfully drank. Why? Because he was useful for the Father's purposes. You see, so joy is not based on my circumstances. Joy is not based on, on, on whether or not I am happy. And I hope you're happy. But some of us, we may have so many things in our lives that, that it is hard to crack a smile. But we ought to be joy-filled people if we're useful for the Father. And so the first lesson we learn from the Master's Vineyard this morning is that the mediating work of Christ makes us useful in the hands of God. And that gives us joy. And that and that alone. So we can be joy-filled people even if, frankly, our, our lives kind of rot at times. Or you fill in the Word. are overwhelming... Because the more that we are useful, the more we have joy. And the second lesson from the Master's Vineyard has to do with the meaning of bearing fruit. And we see that in verses 12 through 14. The meaning of bearing fruit. Jesus now gives us a lesson on what exactly it means to bear fruit when he says, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Wow. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And so we see the meaning of bearing fruit. Wow. Verse 4 of chapter 15, we, we see that there's a, there's a connection with abiding in in the vine when Jesus says in verse 4 abide in me and I in you and then in verse 7 Jesus says if you abide in me and we would expect to hear the same words and I abide in you but he doesn't say that does he? He says in verse 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you so there's a connection between abiding in Jesus loving Jesus and And in verse 12, keeping his commandments because we abide in his word. And so then Jesus says, okay, you want a real concrete way to bear fruit? Because he's giving this illustration. If you're a vine and you're in me, you're gonna bear fruit. You're gonna live and look like me. So what does that look like? Well, we said oftentimes the way to spell theologically abide is O-B-E-Y. Remember we said that last week. And here, see someone loves that song So here, Jesus uh, Jesus says in verse 12 This is my commandment This is how you're going to abide in me This is is the fruit that you ought to bear And I'm going to give you a specific example, he says So if obedience is the general reality of fruit What it looks like to bear fruit Here's a specific He gives us the meaning of bearing fruit That you love one another that you love one another. So many ways to demonstrate fruit, and yet Jesus calls us to love one another. This is not the world's love, my friends. This is not about words. This is not about doing things or giving away things that you don't really need anymore just to get a tax write-off. Did you do that last year? This is not about that. This is about love according to Jesus. And how does love according to Je- what does love according to Jesus look like? Don't look at me. What does it say? Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus shows us what love is, doesn't he? Jesus is about to demonstrate for all the world, and his disciples have a lesson here to learn about that. I will give my life. I will give my life because I love, because I want to be useful for the Master's purposes. And so we see a great, great reality of what it looks like to bear fruit in Jesus. And that is to love like Jesus. And that is to sacrifice like Jesus. You know, Jesus says, lay down, I will lay down my life. No one's taking it from him. Jesus uses that terminology. No one's going to take my life from me. I'm going to willingly lay it down. And Think about the Gospel of John. Where else does Jesus say that I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep? That's right. In John chapter 10, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep, it's humble, it's voluntary. It's completely a reversal, isn't it, from what a shepherd ought to do? Whose life is worth more? A shepherd's? Sheep's? She- a-, a sheep, really? Bah. That really is why you're going to lay down your life? Pastor Steve, it's just a figure Jesus is giving. Yeah, it's a figure, and it is so close to reality because whose life is worth more, infinitely more than yours and mine? Jesus's. And oh, what a friend we have! What a friend to sinners that Jesus would condescend his life for yours and mine. My friends, Jesus shows us the way to love and to sacrifice, and that is to lay down. So you walk into this place, and you lay down your rights and your privileges and your greatness before everybody else, and everyone else instantly becomes better than you do in every way because you lay down your life for your friends that's what Jesus is saying so it's a humble voluntary reality it's one that takes the eye in pride and crosses it right out and look Jesus not only lays down but he lays down his life what more is there for anyone to sacrifice He does it for his friends. And you know what's interesting is reading through commentaries, there's all these commentaries, well, wouldn't it be better if Jesus, I'm like, really, you're going to say that? Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it get the point across more? And Jesus says this elsewhere, that you should lay down your life, not for your friends, but for your what? For your enemies. Wouldn't it be better? Well, no, it actually wouldn't be, because Jesus said this, number one that's pretty clear he's he's the master he can do what he wants but number two within our context Jesus addresses the world and how the world hates him in verse 18 we're going to actually pick up on that next week if the world hates you you know that it has hated me before it hated you if if you were of the world the world would not love it's the world would love its own so Jesus kind of goes into those realities that's not Jesus's point here Jesus' point is for you and for me to love one another in such a way that they become more useful for the Father's purposes. Because what happens when Jesus lays down his life for you and for me? We become useful. That's that link to God that we need. You know, what happens when I teach a Bible study, or what happens when I disciple I do not want to keep my whatever greatness I have or my prowess of Bible study in my pocket. I do not want to become the guru that everyone needs. Right? In our disciple-making culture, we want to lay down our lives so that others become way more useful than we do. We want the student to become the master. You know, as I was studying this passage, the thought just occurred to me, every single man who has ever discipled me has demonstrated this reality in their life towards me. That though they were more capable, that though they had better gifts, that oh, that they were far more in in their experience. They laid down their life so that I could become useful. And if you think about it, that's probably true in your life too, isn't it? That somewhere along the way, someone gave you a chance, someone helped you along so that you could be useful. And though they could have done it and kept it, they held whatever God had given them very loosely. In fact, they were willing to lay it down so that you could be more useful. So do we love one another in such a way that we are eager for others to be more useful. We are eager for others to bear more fruit than us. That's love. It's draw the circle around yourself and then pop it so that it's not even there. So that others actually increase It's a beautiful thing in the home to have the husband grasp this truth, men. To grasp the truth that it's not about your desires and your way and what you want and your thinking. It's about laying down your life so that others can increase in your home. That's how, that's how Ephesians 5, when the husbands love their wives like Christ loved the church, that's what it looks like. Laying down your life and what you want and your ease and your desires. And old oh, ladies, you do this so well. And I'd encourage you to continue this way as you rear your children and you lay aside your ambitions and your successes so that your children will be more successful in the Lord. That, my friends, that is love so that others may be useful for the Master's purposes. Oh, to have a church full of people that lay down their lives so that the others around them might be more useful for the master's purposes. And and praise God, I think we have a church increasingly doing that. So what is the meaning of bearing fruit for Christ? It's loving others so that we might be, so that they might be more fruitful. And then third and finally, a lesson from the master's vineyard deals with the method Christ employs for those who abide in him. And this will be shorter and we'll go right into the Lord's Supper. The method of Christ, the method that Christ employs for those who abide in him. First of all, the method is revealing the heart of the Father towards us. We see this in verses 15 through 17. Verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. He keeps this friend motif up. and He says, For all all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. As I command you that you love one another. The method is revealing the heart of the Father towards us. And what's that heart? In verse 15, what's that heart? Jesus says, it is not a heart of a master to slavery. What do slaves do? What do mere servants do? They just do something because they're told to do it. You've had a job like that. You may still have a job like that. You just do something because you're told to do it. You're not invited into the conversation. You're not asked about it. You're not there to give counsel. You're not there to make it better. You're not there to tweak it. You're just there to work it. But we have access in a whole different way, Jesus says. We have access like a friend. That's the point. I have called you friends. And what's Jesus really after? All these things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You have been invited in to what God is doing. It's not just merely do right but here's why you do right. You have been invited in to the Father's purposes, to his plans. Jesus, of course, is even alluding here in the Gospels to I am going away, right? Don't fear. I'm coming back, and then I'm going to go away again. But I'm preparing a place for you. And uh, so we're invited in. We have access to know the heart, Of the Father. And that access ought to do something. When Jesus reveals the heart of the Father towards us, Jesus' point is it should give us assurance. Because the Creator of the universe, the God who is holy and just and righteous, the God who is sovereign and in control. He wants you to know something, dear believer, today. He wants you to know something about this access that you have. He wants us us all to know something about the relationship that we have that will bolster our confidence. And that is this. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Our relationship is realized in this theological term called election. God chose you. From the foundations of the world, 1 Peter says, God chose you. But you know who else did? Jesus did. He says so right here. And so Jesus and the Father and their purposes are united in one And it wasn't your goodness. It wasn't because you were in a Christian home. It wasn't because you had something lovely. My friends, it was because God chose you. So, what's the implication of that? You can't undo that. You can't do anything to mess that up. And oh, by the way, God knew you from the end, from the beginning. And he chose you, and he gave his son for you. And so, be reassured this morning of your faith. Because we have a faith realized in election. We also have a faith that's rescued for production. God appointed you. I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. If you're in Jesus, if you are linked to the Father, you will bear fruit. And then He also reassures us that our fruit will what? Remain. So don't get discouraged when we see people come in and come out and their fruit doesn't remain. That's for God to do. But my friends, obey and let your fruit remain because God is working and let that reassure your heart not perfection but let that reassure your heart and then we have a relationship that is radical in its requests ask Jesus says this this is about the third or fourth time that Jesus has said these words ask whatever ask whatever in my name and I may give it to you why Because if you are in me and I am in the Father, and if you abide in my words, you're going to get to know me in such a way that you're going to ask according to my will and according to my ways and according to my words, and I will do it. So he gives us a little primer on how to pray. And so what is the method Christ employs for all those who abide in him? Well, it's access that we're invited in as friends, and it's assurance that we have these things that God has produced in our lives that no one can take away. We didn't bring them, we didn't produce them, God did. And so now as we think through the table, I want us to think about the access.